Um, but you need to know you're in a process. Somebody say, I'm in a process. All right, you could say this across all the campuses. Why don't you just look next to the person next to you and just say, hey, I'm in a process. Tell them like this, if you don't like something, I- I'm in a process. <laughs> Come on, we're all in a process. If you're too fat, just say, I'm in a process. <laughs> Come on. I lost 40 pounds over the last year. We have all of our V1 college students going through the lectures that I filmed last year, and we really put a lot of hard work into those lectures. I had to send a message. We have over 125 V1 college students across multiple nations. Isn't that amazing? And I told them, I said, guys, for the first half of the school year, via the video lectures, you get fat Mike. And I was like, then you get to watch my process. (laughs) It was a painful process because our city offices were across the street from a deli. Lord, don't let me, I can't talk about the things of the past. It just, it just gets me all like, oh man, the temptation is too great. Okay, so we're all going through a process, all of us, our marriages, our single season, our finances. Matter of fact, when I met many of you, um, you were sexually perverted. When I met many of you, you, you said jokes that were inappropriate and immature. When I met you, um, you, you swiped your debit card and just prayed that. I, it was more like magic than it was prayer, to be honest, just hoping that there was money in there and that it wouldn't bounce. Or maybe you did say, well, maybe it'll bounce, but nobody will know because I'll take care of it somehow, some way, Lord Jesus. Um, it got real quiet. You know, when I first met some of you, your marriage was on the verge of divorce and you thought, uh, maybe we won't make it. When I met some of you, um, you were struggling with loneliness and your loneliness drove you to make decisions you weren't proud of. But how many of you know you're in a process? Thank God for the process. Thank God that he's not done with us. A process means to be developed, to be trained, to be worked on. How many of you believe that God has you in a process? All right, so here's what I wanna start with. The church is the gathering of those in a process. We know that the church is not an institution. We know that the church is not a building. The church, though, is the called out ones that are gathered together in a process. And I'm gonna prove this to you biblically right now, okay? Now, let me just speak faith, and I need to hear you guys on this, okay? And so if I say something that you feel like just hits the bullseye, it's all right to talk back to me while I'm on stage, okay? Because underneath your feet at all three locations is your stage. And see, like, you hear the words that I say right now while I'm on my stage, but people watch your lives and they get a sermon by what happens underneath your feet on your stage, And you're in a process because God wants you to reach many more people with your story. The process you're in proves that God isn't done with you. Does anyone believe God's not done with you? All right. The process proves that your future is greater than your your past. Does anyone believe that? That that your process proves that your future is great. Why would God invest in something that's not going to be around? Matter of fact, for those of you who fear death, maybe even premature death, can I give you good news? God's investing in you right now. It proves that you're not done yet. It proves that there's more for your future. The process proves that they were wrong about you when they said that this is all you'd ever be. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Y'all got to get sassy with me because I know there's people that you work with that think that all you will ever be is your job. All you'll ever be is your position. But the process God has you in right now proves that you're more than your position. You are your purpose. Come on. You're more than what they see right now. And it proves the process you're going through, what God's doing in your life, the stretching, the molding, the pressure. It proves the process. The process also proves that you were wrong about yourself when you said this is all you would ever be. You're wrong about yourself. Hey, I'm calling you out. Deep calls to deep. You're more than what you are right now. Don't you dare stop. You have an obligation. I'm, gonna, I'm saying something different right now to you than I said the other two services. Is that all right? Can I preach prophetically for a second before this panel comes up? How dare you? Say no to finishing the process that tens of thousands of people are going to need the words that you have to say after you graduate it. Come on, saying no to your process is saying no to their victory. Oh, did, I think I'm speaking in Instagram right now, so some of you are missing. I'm dropping too many quotes at a time, but saying no to your process is saying no to their victory. Saying yes to your process is saying yes to their victory, too. They need you to make it through. The process proves that the pain that you're experiencing has purpose. See, if you died after the pain, the pain has no purpose. But if there's a process through the pain, that pain actually will have purpose. Matter of fact, could I dare say to you that God could do enough that you would actually eventually thank him for the pain you're experiencing right now? Oh, come on. Look, nobody said amen because they don't believe me. They're like, how could this pain have purpose? Let me tell you this. Jesus would never take back the cross because the cross saved you and millions of other people. And so say yes to temporary pain to say, to say yes to an eternal promise. Okay, here's more. I got more. The process proves that all things do work together for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It was right. Isn't it just like God to be a man of his word? If he said all things work together, somebody just say all things. Come on, I know Long Island's getting it. All things means all things. That means that he, God, God is not going to segment your life and say, well, I'll make purpose of that mistake, but not this mistake. I'll make purpose out of that failure, but not this failure. He says all things are going to make sense. All things are going to work together for those who are called according to his purpose. The process proves that you might be detoured, but you have not been denied. You've been detoured, but you have not been denied. Matter of fact, God will teach you more on the detour than you would have learned on the main route. And so sometimes what looks like a detour could become a classroom. Sometimes this detour you're in is teaching you, and God's like, I'm actually making you better. What if I told you there's so much grace in your detour, the detour could elevate your destiny? What have I told you that sometimes God's mercy for your life is so good that he'll actually take a detour from your sin, your mistake, your failure, and elevate your destiny as a result of the detour? What if I told you the detour will turn into a runway and you'll take flight on that detour? Oh, come on. I'm just trying to stir you up. I'm, I'm destroying strongholds. If you're like, what's he doing? Because I'm going to prepare your heart for this panel here in a few moments. 
The process proves that your sin wasn't great enough to disqualify you when the blood of Jesus declares you are forgiven and not forsaken. There's only two people who remember your past. It's you and the devil. And the devil loves to remind you, but God says, I've actually removed it as far as the east is from the west. Actually, when I look at you, I see my son Jesus. You are in Christ, and therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I see you clothed with Christ. I see you under the blood of Jesus, and I call you qualified, although the devil would try to convince you that you're disqualified. Come on, somebody. And this is what happens is you could, let me say it like this. The process proves that you're Self-destruction isn't stronger than God's holy construction. Your ability to destroy your own life was not greater than God's ability to build it up. Some of you couldn't even destroy yourself when you tried because he built you up back faster than you could destroy it. Your ability for self-destruction is not greater than his ability for construction. Matter of fact, what have I told you? He only let you tear down the things that weren't like him anyways. <laughs> Somebody's going to get saved today. We suffer with self-destruction. What if God says, you can't stop what I started? You know, when I do wedding ceremonies, it says the two shall become and let no man divide asunder. And sometimes in marriage counseling sessions, we say that even means you, spouse. Sometimes your ability to, de to destroy something is not greater than God's ability to construct it. The church, let me say it again, is the gathering of a people in a process. To so to say, I love my church, you know what you're actually saying? I embrace my process. I'm embracing my process with a gathering of people who are also embracing their process. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, that she is you, the bride of Christ. Getting out spots is a process. Getting out wrinkles is a process. There's two types of garments that I own, ones that I iron and ones that I'll never iron. <laughs> ones that if I spilled something on it, I would laugh, and others I would panic. But the extent to how much I try to clean it actually reveals how much I value it. And so if he says, I have a, a bride I'm coming back for without spot or blemish, the extent to how much God has continued to try to clean up your life actually reveals how valuable you are to him. You are not being prepared to be discarded. You are being prepared to be displayed. <laughs> Come on, somebody. When you iron a shirt, you're saying, I'm going to put this shirt on and do a wedding ceremony. I'm not going to mow the lawn with this thing. The fact that I made it clean and ironed it means I'm going to a wedding ceremony. And he says to the bride of Christ, Christ, I will purify you. I will clean you. I will wash you. And I will iron all the wrinkles out so that when that day comes, we will be joined together forever. Isn't it amazing? 
Some of you, your dad got up off that ironing board because he felt the heat of the iron and God was going through a process of working out those wrinkles. Oh, I know you have an anger problem, but if you stay on this ironing board, if you stay under the heat, come on, how do you iron something? You press it down. You gotta feel some pressure. You gotta feel some heat, somebody. But you don't get up off that ironing board until you're straight as an arrow, until you got everything worked out and you say, God, I endured the heat and the pressure. Let's get this wedding on. He's coming back for a bride who can take the pressure. Oh, Lord Jesus, you guys got to help me today. I'm preaching this message I'm, because you are in a process, but you're, I'm going to help you get to this process. Come on, I'm your spiritual doula. Somebody never knew. I'm your spiritual doula. Come on, push that thing. You give up. Is that what it's called? My wife's not here to help me. Julie, what is it? Is it a doula? I only did it twice. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Indeed said I did good. Thank you. Another man, of course. The women are like, you have no idea what you're talking about. But the men here support each other. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you throw away discarded clothes, but you iron the clothes you intend to use. God intends to put you to great use. You prove your love for a garment that you work to remove a stain from. The value of the garment is revealed by the extent that you choose to save it. The process that we are all going through proves that God has a plan for our accidents, for our messes, for our failures, and our shortcomings. Do you think for a second that you shocked God when you messed up? He said, I waited 2,000 years for your screw up. I already made a way. You think that you mess up. You think that the first day you noticed that you can't do marriage, God was like, I thought they were going to be a good husband. God's at, he knows you better than you know yourself. You, you, know, you think he didn't make a plan for your failure? He's already accounted it into your plan. He's already figured it out for you. Oh, Lord, I feel so much grace on this message. The process that you're going through proves that God has a plan. The process that we all go through becomes the basis for the coaching that we flow through. I gotta rewind that one because y'all are missing it. The process that we go through becomes the basis for the discipleship that we flow through. In other words, when you get through your process, you become qualified to help somebody through their process. I got some people, I don't understand. Pastor Mike, he's an idiot. I don't understand. Why does God use him that way? Why do people listen to him preach? I'll tell you what. It's not the eloquence of man. It's not vernacular. It's not vocabulary. It's the authority of God that comes through service surviving a process. There's an authority that God puts on your words that you can only experience after you've endured through the process. I'd rather listen. To, it's not intelligence. It's endurance. Ah, it's not intelligence. It's endurance. I don't want to hear about how to be married if you haven't endured being married. And come on, let me ask your wife if I should listen to your marriage advice. Come on, somebody. You can say the right thing, but the authority comes from experience through endurance. That's why people say, I don't understand. I preach better than Pastor Mike. But you don't carry authority in the areas you haven't endured. I got to say that because we have a whole bunch of people that are experts on social media. But you're not an expert because you can repeat an expert. You become an expert when you carry authority through endurance. There's something that, man, you'll know. I've been, to, I've been to conferences, and you hear all the speakers, and you say, man, if you scripted all these out, that guy's was the better sermon, but that one hit harder. 
The weight that you felt was the weight of endurance. It gives influence. And so some of you right now, this is the good news. You're about to have weight on your words. You're about to have weight on your message. That's what the Lord's getting. Maybe you knew it in your head, but you're about to know it in the spiritual realm. This is why. Let me read this to you. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that through the church, everybody say through the church. Come on, let's say it all three campuses. Through the church. That's it. The manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It doesn't say through the book, through the podcast, through the Instagram, through the YouTube channel. It says through the church. Somebody say through the church. I never thought in a million years I'd have to bring alignment to this issue. But there's a lot of people that have platforms but don't have power because it's not flowing through the church. Just because you got a platform doesn't mean you have power. The manifold wisdom of God flows through the church. That's how it's always going to be. And I'm not trying to diminish paraministries, but you should never be in authority if you're not under authority. And there's something different. It says the manifold wisdom of God flows through the church, and it's made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Let me explain that. If you want information to be known to people, make a platform. But if you wanna be so powerful that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to principalities, powers, rulers in dark places, and angelic beings, do it through the church. Oh, y'all, some of the saints know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, oh, man, I thought it was all about how many likes and clicks and comments. And No, listen, those are vanity metrics. If you want the power of God to flow through your life, it's actually coming together with a group of people in process while you're in your process, and then you get authority at the level by which you've accomplished your process to speak into someone else's process. Hey, I've been sober for three days. Let me teach you how to be sober for three days. Hey, I've been sober for three years. Let me teach you how to be sober for three years. Hey, I've been sober for 30 years. Let me teach you how to be Do you see how endurance creates greater authority? Do you see what I'm saying? This is why Paul said, forgetting what's past, pressing on. Why? Because he's like, I want more authority. And it comes through enduring my process. Here's what we're going to do right now. There's some people in our church that have gone through a process. They're still going through a process. I'm still going through a process. But they've come through enough that I want to hear their voices across every campus. My boo kitty, Julie Signorelli, is in NYC right now. I'm coming for you, Julie. I'll see you back at home tonight. Rar. We've got our campus pastors, pastors Eddie and Jocelyn at NYC. We've got uh, Pastor Chase. We've got Pastor Josh and Michelle Hamster, our executive pastors in Indiana. And here's what I want to do. We got so many more on the panels. We got them here on Long Island. They're getting ready to come up. But I believe in a culture of honor. And so these are leaders, staff members, pastors that are going to pour into your life for the second half of the sermon. So across every location, can we please stand to our feet and just welcome them right now? Can we put our hands together and just honor them in this house today? Come on. Come on. We got pastors Dean and Sandra and Natalie and Patrick. Come on, y'all. Let's put our hands together a little bit better than that and just honor the leaders of our house as they come now. Come on, bless y'all. Praise God. You guys can be seated here in the room. 
For all of our V1 Global family watching right now, why don't you go into the comments and let us know where you're watching from, please. We love to see all the locations that are listed. And specifically, if you're a Revival House, I want you to say Revival House, California, Revival House, Florida, Miami, wherever you're at, and drop a comment right now. And then if you haven't already, because this last part of this message is gonna be the most powerful part, can you all just hit the share button, share this into as many groups as possible on Facebook, and let's try to get the gospel to as many people as possible. Um, all right, here they come. You guys ready? <laughs> guys, we cried, we laughed, but we saved the best for last, okay? So welcome to our panel discussion. This is part three of I Love My Church, and it's about being in process. And, um, you know, I'm just gonna kick it off, just jump right into it. Let's do this just to start. If you're watching online or you're here in the room and you've joined V1 Church just within the last year, would you just wave your hand or drop a comment and say, that's me? Okay, wow, praise God. Come on, welcome everybody who's joined us within the last year. That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay, so let's talk about process. I'm gonna kick it off. Real quick announcements. This is Natalie and Patrick Francis. If you haven't met them, they're our Long Island campus pastors. This is Dean and Sandra Anderson, who are our, um, I don't know what to call you guys. Um, they are over our retired but inspired and refired lead generation and our global online uh, overseas. And then we have Daniel and Exica Santis. They are pastors of V1 Latin America. They are pastors. They are official rebuke and reprove uh, pastors. Get them, get them. <laughs> and you're going to be hearing from them today, but I'm so thankful for their contribution to our house. So I met Pastor Dean over 20 years ago now. He was not Pastor Dean. He was a steel mill blue collar truck. I mean, you had a truck, you know, you were driving a truck, you, a motorcycles. He was a man. <laughs> and he worked in a steel mill for, I want to get it right, 43 years. 42, 42 years and a man of great humility. He said, don't give me that extra year. <laughs> but 42 years in a steel mill in Northwest Indiana. And I remember prophesying over him and saying, Dean, the Lord just showed me a vision of Smith Wigglesworth. How many of you have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Okay, there is a man in London with a wife named Polly. So Smith and Polly Wigglesworth. And Polly was really the preacher. She was the demonstrative, emotional one. She was the powerhouse. And then at a certain point, God shifted something and called Smith into ministry. And many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth, probably never even heard of his wife, Polly, because what God did through Smith Wigglesworth was so powerful. I mean, he used to, people would come to him with cancer in their belly, and he would punch them in their stomach, and they would be completely healed of their cancer. We're going to try that today. <laughs> Matter of fact, um, you can read about Smith Wigglesworth. He actually had multiple medically verifiable miracles, including a stack of death certificates that he would collect because in his services, they would bring dead people to him to pray for the resurrection of the dead. And it was the, he was in the 20th century, so it was the last major he, faith healer figure that had like a modern medically verifiable ministry in that way. He had a stack of death certificates. He actually resurrected his own wife, Polly, from the dead three times. And on the third time, she literally said, Smith, please stop. I'm done. 
Isn't that amazing? Like, let me go. You can read about the story. And uh, so I had this vision of Smith Wigglesworth. And the Lord told me, like, yes, Sandra's powerful. Yes, she's, you know, amazing in the spirit realm. But, um, man, it's going to make me cry. But there's something about Dean that's special, and that's Smith. And, 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 and actually what I do through the, through the uh, third half of his life is going to be so significant. People will not even know him as a steel mill worker. You'll have to tell them. Every single one of you have met him as Pastor Dean. How many of you never even knew he was a steel mill worker or what he did? There's the fulfillment. And so he went through a process. So, so Dean, what was it like to go through the process of 42 years steel mill worker, and now you are Pastor Dean to the nations, three packed out services every Sunday praying for people. We go to London, and the whole place, this theater is filled to the rafters, and all these people are running. I want to meet Dean. Not Dean the steel mill worker, Dean the pastor. What was that like? That was crazy. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. London deep. was, I mean, it's great here and everything, but going there and meeting people for the first time that we've never, you know, to put a, um, a face to the name, you know, we've seen them, but you never touched them. So that was amazing. But to go into my, um, my 42 years as a steel mill, I remember right before you had asked this, to uh, move to New York, which I said no. Um, I remember sitting out in the summertime uh, in my little cubicle, as they called it, with uh, 3,000 degrees of steel pouring in a bathtub right below me, and uh, the floor was over 140 degrees. So uh, just with little fans blowing, not a lot, and plus we had three sets of clothing on, just flame retardant. And I'm like, God, there's got to be more. I'm 42 years in. I said, there has to be more. And I believe that next day after I said that, you got to be careful. You know, when I, when I said that, you came over and you said, and you asked me first. She was already, she would have been on board no matter what. You know, she was coming. Pastor Sandra was coming. I said, I looked at you, well, you said, Dean, would, would you come to New York and help us start a church? And I said, no, Pastor Michael. I said, I'm not, I am not going to a place uh, that I just didn't feel I was, I was heading to Florida, guys. I'm sorry. I was, uh, the motorcycles I like were loaded. I was going. So what, what was I doing? I was trying to uh, abort my process. You know, I got lost in an area of, of uh, comfort, which is demonic, you know, <laughs> by all means. And I wanted to do one thing. I wanted to take care of myself and my wife. And I wanted to go somewhere and just fade away into the sunset, but evangelize. And part of that wanting to evangelize, I had asked God, I said, would, would you send me to an island where I could ride my motorcycle? I don't care how big the island is. Now you're getting a drift on this, right? <laughs> I said 20, 30 miles, I can go in circles. I probably see everybody in about 20 years, you know? And I said, just ride around and evangelize everybody. And Pastor Sandra seemed pretty good with that too. <laughs> and little did I know that by me, by me receiving a dream in the middle of the night and God telling me that you're gonna go east 
And there's a lot more to it, and I don't want to get into it, but it was just, it was an amazing thing, and I said yes. Uh, I called Pastor Mike up that next morning, and um, I said, look, Pastor Michael, I said, we're, we're coming. Well, I called him Doolittle. I said, Doolittle, I said, we're coming. I said, we're going to come to New York. We literally sewed two motorcycles, a, a, a house that was completely redundant, about $75,000 worth of teak wood floors, everything, you know, you name it. It was a home and gardens place. Um, sold it all within six months, and we were here that June. So it was my yes that changed to the process, not only in me, but in her, her destiny. And through that, our home became a sanctuary to set hundreds of people free through deliverance. So that was, that was, and I mean, really, there's a question, how many people in this group were over at our house in the very beginning, you know, that were part of, look, I mean, this is the later, the other services, everybody's hand would have been up. So that was just, it was You crazy. know, I, I heard him say something I want to repeat in case you missed it. He said, I just wanted to take care of my wife and take care of our, ourselves. But the greatest way that he could take care of his wife was releasing her into her purpose. And then they move to New York. They get this, like, a condo, basically. And then their home becomes this underground railroad of freedom where hundreds of people, I mean, multimillionaires, I mean, people from every walk of life, like, from the lowest of low to the highest of high, would all end up in their house getting freedom. I mean, people, I can't even say their names from this stage, but it was like God would give these opportunities where people are like, I need freedom. And it was like their home became a conduit for freedom and still does to this day. And you know, but, but initially he said no, and then he turned his no to a yes. And I think what you're seeing on this stage right now is hopefully we bring you back behind the curtain to where you see like, we're not the ones that are just crazy, like, oh, we'll say yes to anything, God. Because I think sometimes when you're in your seat, you think, man, I can't stand my kids, but they want, those people in the V1 kids, they wake up early. They want to see my kid and they want to change diapers. And, you know, it's like they're just looking forward to it. Like, man, I can't wait till that kid throws up over there and the other one screams real loud. And I live, it's like, no, the, the people in V1 kids, they, they still wake up tired on Sunday morning, but they say, God, I just want to serve you today and I'm gonna serve you by serving these kids. It's not like the people who scrub the toilets are like, I love scrubbing toilets. It's so satisfying. It's more like, man, I love the house of God, and I'd rather be a toilet scrubber in the house of God than be the king in the pile of a dung over there. You know what I'm saying? It's like that heart of that humility, you know? And I think what it really comes out, the Bible says those who were forgiven much love much. So it's like, man, why do these people give so much of their finances to the local church? If, if you knew what I was forgiven of, I don't have it. I'm not going to hold anything back in reserve anymore. God, those who are forgiven much love much. And um, Dean really just got to a point where he's like, man, I know what I've been forgiven of. I know what I've been, I'm going to reciprocate. And I was thinking about Pastor Exica, who when I first met her, you know, you guys were in that season of just wrestling, transition. And maybe you're in transition right now. I want to give her a chance to speak into transition. What was that like? Because we, okay, we did this series once a year. I don't know if you guys know that. 
we used to do I Love My Church every September, every year. And it would be a chance for me to like teach the church about how, what the church is biblically. And you guys really came in during that. So what was going on a couple years ago? So in 2018, um, I met up with close friends of mine, dear friends of mine, that we met up at a Starbucks and they're talking about I Love My Church, the series. And as they're talking about I Love My Church, I knew what they went through because they were experienced, they experienced church hurt, and I was just so taken back by the amount of freedom that they were speaking when they were saying, I love my church. But I couldn't get past the title, I love my church. And if you know my background, I was born and raised in church. And at that moment, as they're talking so freely, I love my church, I couldn't even think of a moment that I could say, I love my church. And I couldn't even think of a moment where I was saying, I can even invite people to church because I experienced bad leadership, bad experiences. So as they're saying that so freely, I'm like, I, I gotta listen to the podcast. I gotta know what this is all about. So I go back and I'm listening to the podcast. This is 2018, Pastor Mike is preaching and he's saying how God will use bad experiences, bad leadership to do something inside of you. I'm telling you, I cried and cried and cried. No, born and raised in church, no pastor ever spoke the way he spoke to the church hurt that I experienced. It was like a cycle that kept happening and no one was speaking to it. And then at that moment, I still couldn't say I love my church, but then he ends the message by saying, and I will not rest and so I love my church has significance. At that moment, I realized God was telling me, you went through what you went through because I was processing you. So to say, I love my church, you're saying, like Pastor Mike said, I love my process. And when we speak about our process, I'm going to invite people into my process because I want them to experience the freedom that I experienced at that moment. So the process continues, like Pastor Mike has been saying, because then we did join V1, but we were not going to join V1. Like, you know, we wanted to just join V1, you know, heal, stay back there. We're good, you know, because in our hearts, um, for you that don't know, Danny came from Argentina, and we always wanted to do something with the Spanish community. So we didn't think it was going to happen in V1 Church, because I'm like, where are the Spanish people at? <laughs> so... At that moment, you know, we're sitting back there and, you know, we're joining the different connect groups. And Pastor Mike talks to, you know, Danny and about, you know, Pastor Mike goes live at lunch and now he's growing the global church. So the biggest watch party was in Santo Domingo. So he's growing the, and now I know it's going to be in Puerto Rico next. So when um, Danny speaks to me, I'm thinking it's translation. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. But I was like, that's it, right? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so when Pastor Mike is introducing us and speaking, and I'm like, what did you guys talk about? <laughs> because, and at that moment, I just felt, and he just goes on to speak, but then he le leads to speak about the spirit of Jonah. And I'm trying not to cry, and I'm trying to hold it all in, and I'm like, God. And at that moment, I felt in my spirit, it needed to happen this way because you were going to keep saying no. I got really good at saying no and coming up with excuses. I'm, I could tell you about that. But like Pastor Mike just finished saying, our no will be basically saying, will be your victory at the end. And he said it in this message. So it's time for you to just step 
it's time for you to just step into the process. Continue to step into the process because others are going to be healed through your process. No pastor, spoke, no pastor called out the spirit of Jonah on me until Pastor Mike called it out on me. And that was, I've been in church all my life. Mike, drop. Well, you know, she's talking about the spirit of Jonah. For those of you who don't know what the spirit of Jonah is, it's jumping off the boat instead of jumping into your purpose. And it's like trying to abandon what God called you to do instead of trying to run into it. And here's the thing, though, with, with Exica. I had been Jonah. You know, have you ever heard that phrase, it takes one to know one? When sometimes when you see somebody else doing something you did, you're like, oh, I know that move. <laughs> that move I know. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, this is a powerful woman of God. She's a preacher. She's a leader. And in a lot of ways, connecting with her in a spiritual realm, seeing like, man, she has the DNA of this house, but she's like Jonah right now. But when Jonah said yes, even reluctantly, it wasn't even a full yes, God still started a national revival in Nineveh with a half-hearted yes. So I'm like, what could he do with the full yes? And I really just spoke into that and broke it. And now there's so many lives connected to the Santis family. How many people do they minister to? And how many people are they, I mean, even in the marriage conferences, and there's so many things that we've translated, and there's hundreds of couples in the Dominican Republic that are renewing their vows. Then there's couples all over we get the stories. We go to Puerto Rico together and get to see this square filling up with people who are hungry for God because she said yes. So, that spirit of Jonah, and I want to give you an opportunity to, um, Pastor Daniel, because um, I feel like the theme, and I don't know why, I just want to highlight this, has been marriages. Because there's something about the power of agreement. And, and I don't know if there's like a husband who's fighting their wife on something right now, or a wife who's fighting their husband, but I feel like you guys need to hear the real conversations that happen. Because you might look at them and be like, oh, surely Dean and Sandra are like, yeah, let's go plant this church, you know? And Dean's like, uh-huh, I'm going to an island. And the Lord's like, yeah, Long Island. <laughs> you know, it's like these are the things, the wrestling. And when I look at Scripture, they throw out a fleece. And, you know, wrestling with an angel, things are messy in Scripture. So I wanted to show you guys some of the mess today with this panel. Is that all right? Because you see Exica throwing down, preaching. You don't see when she gets rebuked for the Jonah spirit. <laughs> but it's good to see the messy parts too, amen? So what was it like for you? Because there was that marriage tension too and trying to step in together. It's a huge tension. Uh, Come I on, think be you, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe. No. Uh, I... Since, since I was born, my parents always told me, you have a calling, you're going to be a leader. Mm. Uh, you're, you, I don't know how to do anything else but this. I don't know how to be on a Sunday that it's not going to church. It's just awkward to me not to go to church. Yeah. It's like something missing. And um, at the church that I was at, in, when we got married, right before we got married, I was doing everything there. Mm. I was, you know, preaching, worship team, um, discipleship, uh, everything, everything you could imagine I was involved in. Worship uh, team, huh? Yeah. Not, not, not good. Not good. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> that's why the church never... <laughs> they, 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 came, they, they used to come in and hear me sing. I was like, this is not the church for me. 
Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, we'll accept that. Uh, and then when, when we uh, got married, we decided to move out of that church and go to another church. And my way of saying, what church can we go to is, where can I serve and where can I be used? Because I wanted, I wanted to try to fulfill my own destiny and not let God work in me to fulfill the destiny. So it's always like, hey, the worship team is always up there. So if I say I can play the piano, play the bass, then I'll be seen. And then I'll be the guy that they're going to be using. And I'm always going to uh, try to put myself out there to say, hey, yes, I can do it. And then what happens is people come in and then they say, oh, you can do this. Oh, you can do that. And then they start calling you for everything. And then but you do it with the heart saying, hey, I'm being noticed. I'm being noticed. But there's a void, and I'm being noticed, but I'm not being noticed by God. I'm being noticed by men. And that's the problem I was having. And when Exiga was, Exiga was like, no, we, we shouldn't be doing anything. We should be focusing on us. She's the one that was listening from God. <laughs> uh, and, but that's when we came to V1. We said, hey, this might not be our church that we're going to be working. We're going to be ministering or anything. This is a church where we're going to go and sit down in the background, and we're going to be healed. And when I let go of everything, I said, I don't want to be noticed. I don't want to be, uh, people shouldn't even know my name. And when I say, I'm going to focus on my relationship with God, I'm going to focus on my relationship with Jesus, then everything I try to do with my own strength, then he, like, in in matter of no time, he wow. put everything in order to say, that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for you, for, for you to call me dad. And, and that's a process. That's a process of saying, hey, I don't, I don't, I, it, it, it's to the point that here, I don't care if you call me Pastor Daniel, you call me Daniel, yeah, whatever. If I have to, literally, if I have to put my hands in the sewer to serve you and clear the toilets and clear the sewer, I'll do it. I love you, but I love God so much that he restored me so profoundly here that I'm willing to do just anything because the restoration that he brought into my life thanks to the leadership of the church and being church hurt and then allowing the church to, you know the, the the love of the church the love of the leaders here brought restoration to my life so yeah that was the tension was like i wanted to always be out there and show myself and she was more reserved but when we decided to come together and say it's just between us and jesus then he pushed everything else say that we've always said that even if we weren't part of the leadership now i will be a member of v1 because i could probably say i love my church this is for the first time ever i can say i love my church wow. it's just it just doesn't matter it doesn't matter if if tomorrow something happens and we're no longer any kind of leaders or anything we're just staying here wherever you are man that wrecks me i had to get a reusable one y'all you know I, um, you answered that question. Now, by the way, I didn't prepare them at all. I don't want you guys to think that we, this was all, matter of fact, I think I underprepared you all on purpose because I wanted to, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, you just rocked me because that was such a profound revelation that there was tension in your marriage. This is what I was feeling prophetically. There was tension in your marriage, but you were both wrong. And I think somebody out there needs to hear, what if you're both wrong? 
What if you're like, my wife, my wife, my wife, but the Lord's like, no, 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 but, but you're wrong too. Because I, I didn't expect that answer, to be honest with you. But what he was saying was, well, I wanted to serve, but I actually wanted to be seen because I wanted to validate my own identity. I wanted to know that I had significance, I had importance. So one person's like, well, let's go all in on this church. And the other's like, I don't know. But really, they both need healing. And that, I, th- I just want to make sure none of you miss that because sometimes you'd be like, well, my spouse doesn't want to do anything at the church and I do, they're wrong. And it's like, wait a second, what if, you need, what if you need to feel important, you need to feel significant and the Lord wants to heal that first? See, there's, that was powerful. That moment didn't happen in the other services. I felt like something was different for this group. Um, man, I'm emotional because I wanted to show you guys the mess through the process. Birth is messy. No matter how much the medical community tries to give you an epidural and clean it all up and all that, it's messy. And we did one that way and we did one all natural. And they're both messy. <laughs> and, and, and I think sometimes when you're birthing your next level, when you're birthing your next season, it's like, it's messy. It's the arguments, it's the fighting, it's the failing, it's all that together. But are you pushing forward to your calling? And one thing I love about Patrick and Natalie Francis, and this is why I'm so proud, don't make me cry, man. I'm just so proud of you guys as campus pastors is um, you guys have persevered. And when I met, you know, you guys gotta understand, my relationship, these are longstanding relationships. Dean I met, you know, I was still a teenager when I met Dean. And I was, you guys probably don't know my story. It's in my book, uh, shameless plug to buy my book. But, you know, I started financially supporting my family when I was 16 years old because my mom was bedridden. So I, I literally got a job. It's a whole long story I can't explain, but dropped out of high school and started financially supporting my four siblings and my single mom when I was a teenager. Got my GED and then I started college when I was 17 years old. So that's my story. And I, I was so, and I'm going to tell you what this has to do with, with Patrick and Natalie. I remember finding out at 16 years old, what, you know what's easier than being victimized and abused by, uh, by stepdads? Just being the, the dad. So, so like if the problem is they're all crackheads and, they're, and none of them are financially supporting, I'll just go quit school. I'll get a job. I worked for the water department off of Chicago's Lakeshore and I'll just pay our bills every week. And that's what I did. And people don't know that. And then I was like, oh, you can get your whole high school diploma in, in, a, in a test. Then I sc- scored so high on my GD that I ended up getting a scholarships to colleges and then just started college when I was 17 before my friends even finished high school. Don't, don't, don't clap for me. But I'm saying, I, because it's actually bad what I'm saying to you, is I, I started realizing that if you just do everything yourself, it's easier. <laughs> And I didn't realize that what I thought was my greatest, uh, what I thought was my greatest asset was becoming my greatest liability because now Mike Signorelli started taking the throne. See what I'm saying? I was like, oh, I'm already a sophomore in, high, in college while you're a sophomore in high school. How do you like me now? Oh, I make, at the time it was 700 bucks a week, which, you know, for a 16-year-old, it's a lot of money, not drug dealing. <laughs> You know, and I'm, and I'm working with men. I'm a 16-year-old working at the Chicago Water Department with men. And they're, they embrace me as their own, and I'm literally like a little man. I bought my own family Christmas those years. I'm Santa Claus now. And I remember thinking, this is easy. What was these guys' problem? 
you know? And then I'm going to school nights, blah, blah, blah. But what happened was I started to become the source. I started to become my own everything. And there's something, it, it took me actually into my 20s to actually get dethroned. And I think what I love about you guys when I met you is pain will actually make you rely on yourself. Pain will make you say, I'll just do it myself. I'm gonna be in charge now. Because when y'all are in charge, I get hurt. But when I'm in charge, I don't get hurt. But then what happens is you realize that also hurts you. And I met you guys years ago and you had been bit by sheep because you guys were lead pastors and the people that you pray for, I, I'm gonna say this because I'm just feeling, you guys can leave if you wanna leave because I'll go all day on this. When you're a lead pastor and I'm speaking to other lead pastors who served, you know, you go to, you go to people's side you pray for them, you, you call them all the time, and they'll, some of them will leave you instantly even though you invested years of your life because another church came along or they just stopped believing in God all of a sudden because blah, 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 all this stuff. And people don't know the pain of years and years of investing your life, of coaching them, mentoring them, and, and, in, and then maybe it's not enough. They want more and more and more, but they don't realize 100 other people want more too, and it's never enough, and they don't know what that's like. And when I met you guys, you had been through that. Hosting the events, your own kids suffer because you're putting on programs for other people's kids to experience God. And nobody knows. You know, the offering's not enough because people don't even come to church. When we're doing the offering, they time it up so they come in later just to hear the sermon and they leave. And then you put your own money in to make up the difference and you're funding the church and you're, me and Julie know that. We, the early days of V1 Church, we kept forgetting to even take offerings because we didn't care about the money. And my board would be like, hey, what was the offering this week? We're like, dang it, we forgot to take offering again because we just wanted to love people. And you, you remember that? And so when I met you guys, you were hurting. I know you're crying now because, you, you know, and I don't wanna make you relive it in front of everybody, but it's not easy. There was a recent poll that came out that said it, by 2070, Christianity is gonna be the minority in the United States because people are leaving Christianity. I feel like we need it more than ever. I feel like we need the church now more than ever. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but I mean, the church is needed more than ever. This is, we, we're the only, you know, the, in the world they say, well, it's my truth. There is no such thing as my truth, your church. There's one truth, it's Jesus Christ with one church. And you guys have been champions of the local church even though it ravaged your life. So what was that like? Because I met you in that time and now you've gone through a process all the way to campus, Pastor. So people see you. Look at Pastor Natalie. She's always happy. She's bubbly. She's walking around. She's got plates of food. Every time I see her, she's got food. I'm like, that's why you're everybody's favorite. You know, Pastor Patrick is, you know, here early coaching people in the lobby. Come on, guys. He's on. You know, they know you. They don't know that the you that I met. You know, um, <clears throat> you know as, as you were, it's not so much reliving. But just realizing how good God has been to us in the process. And I remember the first time, you know, when Natalie and I, we, we, I think we were in Jamaica and we were having dinner one night. And you're like, remember Pastor Julie saying, man, how did you guys do it? How did you guys make it through this, this process? And, um, you know, we're talking about a process that, the two guys that I invested in the most end up stabbing me in the back. They, they, 
investing in a church where you need us watch your wife to struggle every day. We end up in, you know, could have lost my marriage. We end up in marriage counseling. Totally in the last sermon I preach here. We end up in marriage counseling and, you know, we literally went through seasons where we literally lost everything. Because we gave everything. But I remember in the last season, something specific, and I just, it just kept on, you know, and, and um, getting Natalie to believe in church again was hard. Because I felt like I failed her through church. I felt like I failed as a dad. I failed as a father. I failed her as a husband. And just remember, like, just one day just saying to God that the thing that you have called me to, I feel like it's destroying me. But I remember, like, you know, Hurricane Sandy, I met Pastor Mike and... You know, we, we maintain a great relationship throughout, but when last season, in the last season, I just kept on saying to God that, you know, it's in the, you know, um, it was so bad that I kept on running away from God. I was like, Jonah, chapter one, two, three. <laughs> I didn't want to be a part of church. I just felt like chilling. And I, I get, I spent like a year in the back of V1 church and nobody knew it was there. Not even Pastor Mike. I would just come every day and just chill because, you know, but I remember the last season they kept on saying that, saying to Natalie, I just feel like it's not the end of my story. And I feel like the world is going to know who we are. I remember Pastor Mike just taking me on this journey through the East Coast, the West Coast, Jamaica, Toronto, Puerto Rico. And I said, God, what you showed me in the last season, the process was connecting me to his season. And when you're going through your season, you feel like isolation is your best destination. But you will end up in the wrong place all the time. And the more I said yes to Pastor Mike and the vision that God has given him, 
more God birthed in my season. What I saw in my season of pain. And I want to say thank you for seeing purpose when all we felt was pain. Thank you for never giving up while all we felt was pain. You know, I'm like physically shaking right now. And this has happened every service, but this is, this is what I'm, I'm feeling. Ephesians chapter five, verse 27. Not having spots or wrinkles. This is what the, the washing feels like. Removing a stain. That stain's from another season. I, I'm removing it. That wrinkle, I'm, I'm making it make sense now. And uh, it's heavy. What you're feeling in the room, what you're feeling right there at your home is reconciliation and restoration that's happening right now. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so their testimony is becoming your testimony. Pastor Natalie, I want to give you an opportunity to speak into this. Pastor Mike is not lying when he said he didn't plan this because when I came in at 10.30 and I saw my name on the paper, I was like, I told, I told Pastor Josh that I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but church hurt, cheap bite, those are real pain. And it's hard to process those because I have two boys. And the one thing I always say to Patrick is that whatever we do, those two boys has to be first. And I felt like every time you say one thing, you do something else. Why are we doing church? I don't want to do church no more. I remember Pastor Patrick preaching a sermon about love my church also. And I was like, really? Love my church? Which one? This one, the one that they don't care about us. We came together and said, we're going to get a building. We got a building. And then everybody leave us stuck in this building. We're taking money from our finances. We're taking money from the restaurant. We had an upside down budget. Now we're homeless. We're sleeping in the church's office. Nobody cares. What kind of church you want to love that does this? And the very... <laughs> church that we all came together and said we're gonna do together we're sleeping in the office because we don't have money to pay for a home because we use all of it to pay to be in this building and I'm like this is the worst thing that you could ever do to us is the worst thing that could ever happen and then Pastor Mike came in that very same building when we were at our hands because we were like, we got to let this go. And he came in that building to meet with Pastor Patrick because he was getting ready to start V1. And when he came and he knocked on the door, I opened the door for him. And I was like, he said, I'm here to see Pastor Patrick. I'm like, yeah, whatever, have a seat over there. And Patrick is a relational guy, and he's always building relationship. And little did I know that Pastor Mike was going to be a part of this great move because I almost aborted that purpose. 
because I couldn't see what God was doing. He said, this season might be this way, but I'm sending someone who you guys are going to be able to work together, do things together. But I didn't care about any of that. All I see is what's happening now. And when he came, I was like, yeah, you have a seat over there. I'm going to tell him you're here. And I was very rude to him. I didn't even offer him anything. And I'm a, I'm a host. <laughs> so he sat and he waited for Pastor Patrick to come out and I don't know if he had remembered, but I said it the last service. When I first met with him after that, and we were getting ready to come over view, and I said to him, I just want to say something to you at the beginning of our meeting. I want to apologize to you for the way I treated you the first time I met you. And he said to me, don't worry about it. It wasn't the season to meet Mike the way how you met him, because I know, I understand. And I'm like... I want to receive it that way. You were rude to me. I'm not going to forget until a very long time. And then all of this is happening while we're going through a process of hurt. No one knows what we're going through. I have my 19-year-old now sleeping next to us in a blow-up bed, and Pastor Patrick and I on another bed in the church's office, and my whole is sleeping in his car. And I'm like, I don't want to have nothing to do with church. I don't want to have nothing to do with sheep because they bite. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm over it. And I was about to give up. And Patrick was like, we can't just yet. God has something in store for us. And I want to say to you guys, the first time I could honestly say that I love my church is being here at V1. That's the first time I could say that I love my church and it's been here at V1. And I don't know if you guys were taking notes, but Pastor Mike said something during his message. And it says, when you think you have the ability to destroy something, that God have the ability to construct. And I was about to destroy something that God was getting ready to construct in us. And sometimes we don't understand the process because we want to bypass the process for progress. I'm going to say to you, stay there. Stay in that process and allow God to refine you. As hard as it gets, as tough as it is, stay in the process. Do not abort what God has in, for, in store for you. RV sent a message to us during the first service, and he said, that's RV from Florida, and he said, isn't this amazing how a fatherless man could father so many pastor's kids? Because Patrick is a pastor's child. Arve is a pastor's child. Pastor Donnie is a pastor's child. How could a fatherless man father so much kids? And I just want to say thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you, Pastor Julie. Thank you for your yes. When we say thank you, we mean thank you because of you. I have the hope to believe that church Hurt is not the end of your destiny. So I just want to say thank you for that. Wow. Something really special happened this service. You know, I'm a, I'm a wreck. Do you know that when I was having my hardest days, I used to actually say, I can't stand pastor's kids because they had a dad and their dad gave them a church and this. And I remember the Lord told me, son, you don't understand. Once you become like me, you'll extend healing to these pastor's kids because they need it too. And so this is the thing, I, I, I wanna reveal this to you as we're getting ready to pray. Because what that trembling that you're feeling in your gut right now, that's destiny. 
You're not going to die in the wilderness. I told you. That's your destiny turning on the inside of you. See, if I would have kept my heart full of bitterness, Harvey in Florida, who's a pastor's son, would have never been ministered to because I would have been a bitter pastor that could have never fathered him. This is the thing. You've heard all of them honor me. Everybody stood to their feet to honor me, but I want to tell you a secret. And I waited till the end to tell it. When they said yes to their process, they released my next level of my process. And, and, and it was connected. Because let me tell you, when we first moved to New York, we also sold our home. We also cashed out our retirement. We did everything just to have all this stuff to put on services. And uh, our apartment wasn't ready. And we ended up sleeping on the floor of our realtor's house in blow-up mattresses. We had a couple outfits. People don't know this when we first got here. And I remember thinking, this is so stupid. You know, like, why, what am I... I, I was just uh, the executive pastor of a 2,000-person church, all this influence, and I had it easy. And why did I do this? And then, and then God knew, because there was another family sleeping on the floor. And, and if you'll, you know, and if you'll say yes and go through your process and say, well, look, God has brought us through this, and then oh, they'll come through it with you. And my yes become their yes. And it's just like, when Daniel and Exica, when they said yes, I had a vision for a diverse church. And, and I also, you know, mi corazón is Spanish. I, I know genetically I don't look like it, or I don't, I'm, but my, my heart, I, we were raised in a Spanish church. We were the only white people there. Come on, y'all, give me some credit. With, you know, we were always the minority of the churches we attended growing up. And, uh, but V1, there was a season and, and when she said yes to the vision, all of a sudden from the north, south, and east, and west, Spanish speakers started coming in our church. When, when Dean and Sandra said yes, they released my next level because there were people who say, I won't go to a church with a young pastor because what does he know about my life? But when the lead generation came up, their yes said, oh no, there's some wisdom and they're coming together. And it was like something about when they said yes, it released another level for me. Okay, this is the scripture. I want you all to hear it differently now because I'm gonna pray. Because this you can't get anywhere else. It says this, Ephesians chapter five, verse 27. That, oh no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just wanna make sure I get it right. Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What you experienced today was the power of God, the wisdom of heaven that's made known through the church. It was us coming together. It was married couples fighting, arguing, having problems, but, then, but saying, we're gonna come together. What a beautiful moment. I'll never forget the moment watching you kiss your wife on this stage. There, I'm telling you, the world is groaning to see that. You know, the only reason why you ever fight is because you care. I care about this. I, I'm passionate about this. But the Lord will bring you together and point your passions in the same direction. Just like Exica and Daniel, they both, they were fighting, but both of them needed healing. And I, and I will tell you, this man has actually cleared this sewer many times. And if you're the building owner and you're watching right now, you better get your act together. 
come on, that's the Long Island way. I'm a New Yorker now, you know. We threaten, we threaten a little. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it might be. But, you know, he's done plumbing work and all this stuff, and this is what it is. And I wanted you to understand that, ironically, I had this thought. I want to say this. I know I keep saying last thing. I'm like Steve Jobs up here. Today was the highest attendance that we've ever had as a church across all three locations, but it's the smallest our church has ever felt. This, I got the message, like we, we've destroyed every attendance record we've ever had today, but this is the smallest our church ever felt because we're a family. This church is a family, and so I wanna pray for you I want to pray for your marriages. What can you do next? What can you, what, you know, why did you just go to the longest service we've ever had in the history and nobody even spoke in tongues? Come on now, somebody. Because we're dealing with your destiny. If you download that V1 Church app and you go to a connect group, that's a supernatural experience because what you're saying is isolation will not be my destination. I will join together. I will come into this group. I will know them and I will be known and I will heal them and they will heal me and we'll go through our process together and I'll teach them what I know and they'll teach me what, I, what they know and the manifold wisdom of God will be released. I'm gonna join a dream team and I'm gonna serve because I never, I said I was never gonna serve, but I am gonna serve and I'm gonna do things that don't even feel like my calling because I'm just gonna do it unto the Lord. I, I, this is what your next step. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And some of you want God to be a toxic, controlling, codependent God that just forces you to do things because you're so used to having a slave mentality of being forced to do things. But God actually says, draw near to me and then I'll draw near to you. Why? Because once you take that first step, he goes, oh, you really want this, don't you? This is not me forcing you. And then all of a sudden he says, now watch what happens when I take my step towards you. So let me pray. Father, we're going to have the pastors pray and release the word. I pray for every single person here who's just saying yes. We're just saying yes. We're going in deeper now, going deeper into our process, God. We're going deeper. We're, this time we're going to say yes. This time we're going to say yes. We're not going to make decisions out of wounds. I don't know who that's for, but the Lord told me to say you've been making decisions out of wounds, but you're about to make decisions out of health. You're about to make decisions out of a healed wound. You're going to say, yes, the wound made me wise, not made me wrong, not made me unwise. The wound, I'm going to make a decision out of a healed wound. The wisdom that comes out of that wound that says, man, I'm wise, but I'm not jaded. I'm, oh, I feel that from the Lord. I'm wise, but I'm not jaded. I'm wise, but I'm not jaded. I'm not dis I'm wise, but I'm not disgruntled. I'm wise, but I'm not disconnected. I'm wise. There's a wisdom wisdom from that wound, but the wound doesn't keep me away from you because there's a couple of sheep that bite, but there's thousands of sheep that honor. There's thousands of sheep that sow. There's thousands of sheep that are different. Come on. There's hundreds of churches that hurt, but there's going to be thousands of churches that rise up and they heal and they say, I'm not perfect. I haven't figured it out, but let's do this thing together. Come on.